get started, we're going to do the church study, like I said, and the purpose of the study, and I always share that with the person I'm studying with, the purpose of the study is to help you to understand the role of the church and the role we have as disciples in the church. So it's not just to understand the, how the role will affect our lives, but how we will affect the church. How we can help the church, but also how the church is going to help us. It works both ways. And let's look at Colossians 1, 15 through 20. And here we're going to be talking about the head and the body. In, in first Colossians, I mean Colossians 1, verse 15, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or ruler or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile to him Self, all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Amen. So this is really rich. First, it's saying that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So Jesus is everything that God is in the flesh. And he's the firstborn over all creation. So he was with God. He's always been with God. And through him all things were created. Jesus is powerful. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. The physical and the spiritual. Whether thrones or powers, rulers or authorities, all things have been created through and for him. So he's saying here that Jesus has all the authority. And God has given it to him. He has all authority on earth and in heaven. And also, it says that Jesus is the head. He is the head of the body, the church. And he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. So Jesus is the head of the body, which is the church. And he, when you look at the body... And you, our bodies, we have a body and we have a head. Can the body do anything without the head? No. And can the head function without the body? No. Now, that's the point is that we need Jesus. We can't function without Jesus. He is the head of the body, which is the church. We make up the church. Each one of us, we make up God's church through, the, through Christ. But we need Jesus as the head. Now Jesus needs the body, us, to do his will here on earth. That's what he left us here to do when he left. To go and make disciples, teach his word, help people to know him and come to God.
So we work together. What is another name for the body of Christ? The church. The head controls the body, right? The, the head tells the body what to do, where to go. And we're here to carry it out. And Jesus is the head of the body. So Maurice is not the head of the church. Sam is not the head of the church. The Pope is not the head of the church. Who's the head of the church? Jesus. That's who we follow. And the head and the body of a person, we, the body, need the head to survive. And the head, Jesus, needs us to carry out his will on earth. We need to be together. We need the body and the body needs us. Okay? Amen. Now let's go to Ephesians 2, 14 through 21. Ephesians 2, 14 through 21. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near for through him we both have access to the father by one spirit consequently you are no longer foreigners and strangers but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. Amen. So you want to ask how would you define a foreigner or an alien person? What would you guys say? What is a foreigner or an alien? I'm sorry? Someone who's not a native. Someone who doesn't belong. Someone who is not a part of you or part of your group or part of your country. You're not a member of God's household. And that's what he's saying here. He's talking about the family of God. And he says, before we are become disciples, that's what we were. We were foreigners and aliens before we came to God. We were not a part of God's household. But now that we are a part of God's household, we are family. We are direct members of God's house and God's family. And how were we able to become a part of God's household? It was through Jesus. Through Jesus, he's the one that made peace between us and God. Because we had a wall of sin that separated us from God. But Jesus, by dying for us, was able to break down that wall so we could become members of God's 
household and God's family. And we're not just a part of an organization. We are the body of Christ. Yes, we're called the Church of Christ, but we are actually a part of God's family. It's not just an organization. And then it talks about what is the foundation of God's household. And it said in verse 20, it's built on the prophets and the apostles, right? Now the prophets are in the Old Testament, and the apostles are the, is the New Testament. So it says that the Bible is the foundation of the church. Jesus is the head. We are the body. We make up the church of God. But the Bible is the foundation. It is built on the word of God. And then it says that Jesus is the chief cornerstone. But I have a question. Do you think that everyone in, in the household of God has responsibilities? Yes. Does the church have a responsibility also to the members of the... Yes. It's like any home. In your home, you have rules. Some mom might cook. The kids, they clean up. Dad, maybe he takes out the garbage. We all have roles and responsibilities. And it's the same with God's household. Everyone in the household has responsibilities in the family of God. And God has his rules, and he expects us to follow his rules, right? Just like mom and dad expect the children to follow the rules of the, house, of the household. The same with us. So, it also says, Jesus being the chief cornerstone, when you build a house... You lay the foundation first, but then the, the first brick that you lay is the cornerstone that's going to set the whole building to make sure that the building will be built upright and built properly. And that is Jesus. Jesus is that cornerstone for God's church. He's the first stone that was laid, and we all follow after him. To build up together God's church. Amen. Amen. Okay, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 11. We're going to talk about being a cheerful giver in 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 11. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and, the bre and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge, enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. 
So here we're talking about having the heart of being cheerful about giving back to God. And the reason that we give back to God is because He has given everything to us. So we want to give cheerfully. And that's one of the responsibilities. The Old Testament talks about giving a tithe. This is talking about giving back to God's church. And the reason we talk about this is because when we're studying with someone, you know, we need to talk about it. We don't want them to just one day, oh, what is this? Why am I doing this? But we need to talk about it up front and say, this is what we all do. And it is between you and God, you decide what you can give. No one's going to tell you what to give. You decide. But God wants us to also give sacrificially. Because he has given to us so sacrificially. He doesn't want us, oh, well, this is nothing. You know, he talks about our first fruits. Or giving a 10%. Or putting aside at the beginning of the week what you set aside for God. So that's what it's talking about here. But it's not even just about money. It's also about giving our heart, giving our time, giving our talents to build up God's kingdom, which is us. And the more we give, the, the better God's church will be, the better we're going to all be, and the more we're going to benefit, and the more that more people will benefit in the world. The stronger we are, the better that we are, the more unified that we are. But God wants us to do it with a cheerful heart and out of gratitude. And it's not, you know, you wouldn't want someone to love you or give to you because they have to. It's not I have to. It's because we want to. We want to share in the opportunity to give back to God because of our faith in Him and for who He is. And also, uh, we also do this weekly. We take up a weekly contribution. And then we also, once a year, we do a special missions contribution. So you want to share about that so they can understand that we do that. And in New York, the part of the world that we support is Africa and the Caribbean, right? Just African and Caribbean. And so we take up a special mission contribution for that once a year. And we don't set an amount. We just ask people to give as much as they can. Some people give ten times. Some give more. Some can only do less. But it's not about the number. It's about the heart of what you're willing to give and what you can do your part for God. And to help to spread the word, the word of God all over the world because of that People in other countries will have a chance to hear the gospel and to become disciples. So now that we've talked about that, let's talk about unity in the church. And one thing I, I didn't mention before, but usually when I um, do this, I usually ask the person studying, what do you think that you have that you can give back to the church as far as talents, abilities. What is something that you think that you're good at? And, you know, then I'll ask a couple brothers, or I'm not brothers, sisters, what do you think this person has to give? What do you think their talent or gift is? You know, and we all have something different to give. Some people are great encouragers. Some people are great song leaders like Minna. 
Some people are prayer warriors. Some people are just great servants that they think of needs. They think of other people's needs before most people do. Or they're the first to to be at someone's door to, to give or to supply a meal or help out with a situation. And so just really thinking about what can I give back to God's kingdom. So you want to talk to them about that and help them to think about that as well. Okay, going on to the unity in the church. 1 Corinthians 1, 10 through 16. It's talking about a church divided over leaders. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of the Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you, what I mean is this, one of you says, I follow Paul, another, I follow Apollos, another, I follow Cephas, still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius. So that no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanas. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. So here, we're talking about unity in the church. And we see the church begin to split and divide. And people start following leaders. And focus more on this leader or that leader. Well, I like Peter because I like the way he leads and I like what he's saying. And so I'm going to do, I'm going to imitate him and do what he does. And someone else, well, I like Apollos or I like Paul. And, uh, and there started to be division. But the thing is, we're not here to follow people. We're here to follow Jesus. We're not here to become little Peters or little Pauls or little Laurens or little Maurices or whoever. Yeah, if there's something good in me that you can imitate in this like Christ, please do. And I will do the same. We all learn from one another. So many things. But we, we, our ultimate goal is that we are to be... Jesus, be like Jesus, be little Jesus, and that that's what people will see, and that's what we're striving for. But they stopped focusing on Jesus and got caught up in all this worldly stuff and following people. And as a result of that, today in the world we have lots of division in the church because when we looked in the book of Acts, after Jesus left, he left Peter with the keys to start the church. And so Peter went and preached the gospel and 3,000 people were baptized and then they went back to their countries and they spread the word all over. And that was the first century church in Acts 2 and it talked about what the church was like and what they did. But as time went on, as it grew and people were in other countries, in other cities, there started to be a divide. And it's the very thing that Jesus prayed for us 
to, to prevent. He did not want that to happen. But he said, I know it's going to happen. But I pray for you that you will all come together and be one. And so we have the breaking off of the church. And so you have all these different denominations. You have Lutheran. You have Catholic. You have um, Baptist. You have um, Mormon. Jehovah Witness. I think I said that. Uh, you, you know, there's so many. Pentecostal. The list goes on and on and on. But really, when the church started, it was just the Church of Christ. And that's why we call ourselves Church of Christ, because we are, that's all we're trying to be. We're just trying to follow the Bible and follow Christ and teach what the Bible says. Not to make all these other doctrines and different things up, but just to follow Christ. And that was something that was really amazing to me because I grew up Catholic. And I have to say, um, you know, my family is pretty religious. Catholic, I had uh, two, two cousins that were nuns and an uncle that was a priest. And he ended up marrying a woman who was a nun. They left the, the order because they, they, didn't, they were trying to change things in the Catholic Church in the 70s. And so they wanted, they were questioning, why can't priests be married? And, um, but, because it was not biblical. But that's something that is still happening today. There's a lot of things that haven't changed. But, you see all these, these things happening, and it's kind of like a falling away of the truth. And it can happen to anyone. It can happen to us. That's why we have to stay in our Bibles Keep reading our Bible every day. Keep uh, studying out the scriptures. Keep imitating Jesus and not getting comfortable. I will say that my parents, they did teach me love. They taught me a love for God from what they knew. They did the best they could with what they knew. They were faithful to what they were taught. They really were. They were faithful to church and they instilled in us a love for God and for, for church, to love the church. And I always remember my grandmother. She was God first. We all knew that. Then her husband, then the family. It, it was that way, and that's how she lived her life. And, you know, she was really funny. My, my dad would laugh. He's like, whatever the priest said, my grandmother was going to do it. She was like... <laughs> You know, but she was, she, she loved God, and they, that was what they knew. But now God has taught us so much, you know, through the Word of God. I had never read the Bible when I was growing up in the church, Catholic church. No one, I did some religious classes, but I didn't really know what the Bible said, and I'm so thankful for that, because it really opened my eyes to a lot of things. So you'll see there's a lot of different things that are taught out there in the world. Some people believe you, can only, you only have to pray Jesus in your heart. Baptism is not necessary. Some people believe in baptizing babies. Some people believe you know, uh, in making their own uh, doctrine and biblical teachings or getting away from the Bible. Like you don't need the Bible. You just follow these rules and these things that the church have made up. So you have to be careful and th this is why we sit down and study with people and show them what the Bible says and encourage everyone to go back and read it for yourselves. That 
We are basing what we do, this church, on the Bible and on Christ. Amen? The next scripture is 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 20, and then 21 through 26. And I'll probably just read that all together. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put together the body giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Amen. This is a great, great scripture. So in in this scripture, it's talking about each disciple has a part, plays a special part in the body of Christ. Even though we're all different, different racial backgrounds, social, ethnic, cultural, economic, all of it, we're all different and we all come from different places. But it's okay because we can all come together as one in Christ and we all have something different to give and we all work together. We, we have to work together because if one part was just we were just all ears we would really be lacking because then we wouldn't be able to see we wouldn't know where to go if we were all just arms and no legs we couldn't walk we couldn't move around so whatever your part is just know that it is special to God and to his kingdom and to his body and he even arranges us arranges arranged it that way that we are where we are and do what we do and the gifts that we have for a certain reason that God put it together like that and um, and he knows what is needed he knows what the body needs and he knows what we need he even helps us with our relationships with one another orchestrating the people that we need in our lives 
who we're going to date, who we're going to marry, God knows. And most of you guys know my story. Like that was totally God with Maurice. Because I prayed that I would meet the man I would marry. I prayed and prayed for months and fasted. And I met him on that very day. The very day. And we, we are married. And we've had children. We've had an incredible life. But I definitely prayed, God, you pick out my husband for me. Because some of you know I've married before. I dated in the world. And it never worked out. And I was like, okay, this time, God, you, you show me. Because I just want to go to heaven. I want to make it to heaven. You know what I need. Please, that's more important than anything, that you help me find a man that's going to help me make it. Because I just want to go to heaven. So we have to pray. We have to trust God on all of those things. And that every that you are important. I know sometimes we can get down on ourselves and think, well, what can I do? I can't do this. You know, Dianeri, she's so good at, you know, helping the Latin ministry. Look at Nina, she can do this. You know, uh, Ariana, she's so good with the teens. You know, whatever it is. You know, and then we look to other people, but you have to really believe that God has something special for you too. And Maurice preached about that. I loved what he preached in the last two weeks. He preached about David. He preached about Elijah. Like they were just ordinary men just like us. And uh, so we can do great things in God as well. Amen? And I love where it says when one part hurts, the whole part hurts. When one part rejoices, we all rejoice. And it's, it's like if you were to cut off your pinky and sit it on the table for months and months, what would happen to that pinky? It would die. It would shrivel up and die, right? But you would still be able to function, right, the rest of your body. Now, you would be hurting because, you know, that little pinky may not seem useful, but it is. So you're going to miss it or if you miss that little toe, <laughs> you know, even when you hit the toe, you know. <laughs> Maurice, I don't know, I think he said it one time. He's like, um, I finally think I know what the little toe's purpose is. To feel pain when you hit it on the... Yeah. And that has happened to me. I have broken my toe like four times. And I'm like, what is the deal? I keep breaking the same toe. But... <laughs> We, every part is important, so that part would shrivel up. But the body would keep going, but it would hurt. And it's the same with us spiritually. If we separate ourselves from God's church, spiritually, we, it's going to be hard for us. We could die spiritually because we won't have that encouragement. We won't have the fellowship. We won't be with the body. And we can just slowly shrivel away and we die. And... So we don't want that to happen. So it's so important that we stay connected to one another in the Bible. Okay. Um, And also you can talk to your friend. Like this is going to be a great opportunity for you to meet so many different people. Different kinds of people. From all over the world. All kind of backgrounds. All kind of talents. It's, It's just truly a blessing. And then Proverbs 12 verse 1. 
It says, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but whoever hates correction is stupid. Whoa. Yes. And here it's just really talking about, you know, it's not, it's, it's just stupid to hate correction because it's there to help us to grow, to get better, to improve. But if we shun it and, and push it away, we're not going to grow. We're not going to become our best because we all need that. And it says that, you know, if, if we love discipline, you love knowledge. If you're disciplined, you're going to grow and um, become the best we can be for God and be the best disciple we can be. And then Proverbs 15, verse 22 Yeah, if, it's, if, if it says that we're stupid, if we don't like correction, that means we're smart. Then if we welcome correction and we welcome discipling. And 15 verse 22 says, Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. And again, it's about getting advice. And advice is advice. Okay, And hopefully, if you're getting advice in the church, it's going to be biblical, godly advice. That's what we need to be giving to one another. But it's up to you to take it and to decide it. But God is saying it's, it's smart to talk to many people so your plan can succeed. Amen? Amen. And just some questions to ask. What areas in your life do you need to seek advice in? And then you just want to reiterate with them, making sure that people understand that why it's important to seek advice. Because, you know, Satan has a plan also to take us down, to trip us up, to get us confused, to lead us away. And so when you have that family, that community, friends that are in there with you, going to protect you from that. Matthew 18, 15 through 18. One thing too I wanted to say about the giving advice, I think when someone is studying the Bible, that is a good time to start putting that into practice. So you do want to teach and help with that because you don't want to wait, okay, once they're baptized and then you know, you start talking about advice and you're like, well, why? What, what are you talking about? So, and this, this is why we're studying. So these things are important to teach. Really important to teach. So Matthew 18, 15 through 18. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault, just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or tax collector. Okay. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So here it's talking about correction in the body, in the church. If a person sins against you, go and talk to that person one-on-one. 
you don't need to go talk to their discipling partner or your discipling partner or you don't even need to come and talk to me really I mean there are situations where when you may feel like okay I don't know how to handle this but most situations if someone you know said something unkind to you well you just go and talk to them about it and, and show them and share with them hopefully with the scripture why it hurt you and it's to encourage one another in love to do good deeds in love not to just well I'm going to get you or I'm going to make you feel bad or I'm going to tell you about yourself today but more about helping because you may help that person and maybe sometimes people don't realize it I know in my marriage I do a lot of things that I don't realize <laughs> and then Maurice you know will tell me in the same he does a lot of things too that he's like I didn't realize how I was making you feel that that wasn't encouraging to you and the same with my kids so we have to be open with one another and don't hold it back and let it fester and build and build and build and then you have an attitude with that person and you're like I don't know why oh it was because of this one little thing you looked at me in an unloving way <laughs> you know so I mean no we you know our minds go there well maybe she doesn't like me I don't think she likes me and she never says hi to me or something like that you know no we just can't go there and if we, we do if there is something we go and talk about it okay once you go to the person and if they're like oh you're crazy I don't, I, I'm not I, I'm going to do what I want and I don't care I can say whatever I want to you blah 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 then it's like okay then you go and you get some help and advice you know to another sister or you know someone bring one or two people let's sit down and talk about this because we have a conflict and there's some things that we're not seeing eye to eye let's talk about it and let's resolve it and that's the whole purpose to be resolved into unity between brothers and sister or sister and sister whatever so then say after you've done that and they still I'm not listening to any of y'all you can't tell me what to do I'm going to do whatever I want I don't care and this is mainly about sin you know this is like someone in sin it's not about just a different opinion because we all have our opinions but when it comes to someone committing a sin or a sin against you then that's, that's what we're talking about so here it says okay at that point then we need to bring it to the church now it does not mean that we're going to stand up on Sunday and confess your sin to everybody no we'll sit down maybe with uh, some leader, a leader in the church or elders or someone that can help the situation that's in leadership so we know what we're dealing with and what's going on and usually it's an extreme situation a lot of times you know it's like and the reason we do it is because it's to protect the church so we don't want anyone to hurt the church to say if there's someone that's going through the fellowship and just doing causing all this conflict sin uh, sinning against people pulling people into sin we need to talk to them 
call them to repent. If they don't, then we're going to say, you know, we're going to ask you to leave the fellowship. Because you're causing a lot of danger and harm to God's people. Now you can repent and stay. If not, we're going to ask you to leave. And that may seem harsh to some people. But, you know, we have to watch over God's flock. And we all made a decision that we, we were going to be disciples here. And if someone's not and, they're, and it's hurting, then we ask them to leave. But hopefully and prayerfully, it will, they will come back. Because they'll see, you know, man, the body of Christ, I, I needed it. And the Bible does talk about, you know, hand over the sinful or immoral brother or sister over to Satan. You know, not just like, oh, kick him to Satan, but... Sometimes you have to go out in the world and experience the sin and, and how bad it is and realize, wow, no, this is not the life I want. This is not what I, where I want to be. I need to be in God's kingdom. And prayerfully, they will come back to God's kingdom. And so you want to ask, how, you know, how does that make you feel? Because this is biblical this is a biblical guidance. This is what Jesus tells us to do. That, you know, we all need to come to repentance. And that we have to help one another. And sometimes it will be really hard to do. Okay? Matthew 13, 44 through 46. And this is talking about the joy of being in the kingdom. This is one of my favorite scriptures too. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. All right. So here it's talking about the joy of finding the kingdom of God. And we, when we find it, it's such a treasure. It's worth so much that we should be willing to give up whatever we have to so we can have it, so we can be a part of it. And when I say give up anything, that means whatever will keep you from being in God's kingdom. There should be nothing more important or more of a treasure than your salvation. Eternal life with God. Living with God as a disciple. And we have to throw those things off and hinder. And, that, and it uses the parable of finding this priceless gem. And you found it in the field. And you didn't own the field. But you knew it was down there. So you went and sold your everything, your house, everything you had, just so you can buy this field, so you can possess it. And that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to possess the kingdom and be in the kingdom. Be a part of his family. And do um, and, and enjoy the benefits of his family. Because there are people longing for this in the world. There are people looking for this every day. And we have it right here. And sometimes we can take it for granted. 
And so I know for me that's why every morning the first thing I do when I get up is just thank God. Just thanking Him that I made it through another night. That I'm alive today. That I, I get to start over again. I get to be a better disciple. I get to work harder to be like Jesus. I get to love more, give more, share my faith more. It's another opportunity and another gift. Another gift. And so God says, wants us to come into his family and to function in, together in unity to glorify him. And to God be the glory.